0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Take 10. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert on addictions, and Carol Zernial, who is well-known for her work in geriatrics trying to deal with senior issues across this country. Take 10 is when we toss out a topic, kick it around for 10 minutes. And, Carol, you've got the lead.
1: Well, you know, I was... Talking with a caregiver recently, and I realized that during this COVID period, you know, there's been a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. Um, and caregivers traditionally, right? They're they're the caregiver; they're taking care of their loved one. Um, but what what happens, uh, Dr. Jamie, when it is the caregiver who is filled with fear? When it's the caregiver that believes that the person they're caring for is the one putting them at risk? What does that do to the caregiving dynamic when you become afraid of the person you're caring for?
2: You know, is it the fear of the person and their decompensation with the illness? Or is it the fear of all things around them and that they, they just can't handle the response to it? That's That would be my first question. Because well, the
1: fear of like, let's say they're the person that might catch, the more likely to catch COVID and spread COVID.
2: You know, this is not an uncommon situation at all, Carol. In fact, it's great to bring up you know the adage we've always said: the more controlling we are, usually the more out of control we are in our mind. Well, fear works very similarly to that. So fear is like a a, a coat, a cloth around us. Our our seniors and or the carry, let's say, sometimes has gone through. Their their challenges and has a little bit more resilience, and either it's accepted the chronic illness or is at the place where they're <clears throat> they're okay in some ways uh, with what's happening, and they also feel okay possibly with their loved one taking care of them. However, we don't really look at the mental health of the caregiver as much as we should, and I think the caregivers don't look at their own mental health enough because. Their fear uh, is really based on, on, on their, their own mental health, their own self-care. They fear based upon literally how well they're feeling about themselves, their self-trust, their self-love, and their self-esteem. So when one's low, usually that fear is high. And I can tell you it does throw the loved one, the caree, their, their senior that they're taking care of off because they count on that caregiver to not be that neurotic and to be on two feet.
0: Well, my folks had a situation where uh, they had a fabulous marriage, uh, never fought, never argued until my dad developed Alzheimer's. And at one point, he did things he had never done before, yelled at my mother, uh, literally screamed at her, uh, which made her very worried and frightened and not really knowing what to do and how to deal with it. A good amount of informed
2: consent and psychoeducation by the hospital, the skilled nursing, the neurologist, or whomever was touching your loved one with the caregiver would have gone a long way because these episodic outbursts from somebody with a neurological issue, especially Alzheimer's is difficult to to handle if you're not prepared, if you don't understand that, that sort of process. And so I called hospitals, healthcare uh, clinics, places that have uh, touched the, 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 the caregiver. Really, I hold them responsible for not providing that informed consent and ready. He was at home though.
0: He he wasn't uh, in a residential setting. No, I totally get that.
2: Yeah, but what if it's, then I hold the home health group or I hold the the primary care at the clinic or I hold the medical assistant. They don't have to be inpatient, Ron. I I really believe that informed consent or preparing caregivers for what's ahead is something that we have a responsibility to do, even if they're not the reimbursable phenomena. How's that?
1: Well, It makes a lot of sense. You you talked about um, that... Fear, you know, it has a lot to do with the, the caregiver's emotional health. Uh, how does that when if someone is fearful and the person they're afraid of either because they're violent is the person they're caring for, or is the most exposed to COVID because of you know where they go uh, throughout the day, you know, how do you what does the caregiver do to be able to continue to care for that person if they're actually afraid of them?
2: I think they need to be proactive and they need to be woke. How's that? They need to understand their own fear and that fear is a process. I often remember Ron on an ongoing basis, always asked that question. Do you have to be a caregiver if you don't want to be? Well, no, you really don't, but you got to be self-aware about your own stress, your own fear, your own anxieties. And when you are, then Carol, I, I really believe you need to call in the troops. You need to call in the cavalry, whether that's the family of of origin, the family of choice, another residential particular place that can best handle the loved one. But they need to have that self-awareness to be able to say, I I am fearful. This is impacting myself and my loved one. And I need to call people in to help.
0: Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host for Take 10. Carol Zerniel is with us, as well as Dr. Jamie Heisman. Uh, We're talking about what about where the caregiver becomes afraid and worried about the caree and the issues that we're talking about. Carol, I think they're probably more widespread than people would think.
1: Well, you know, I was just thinking of it as you were talking with Jamie that it's actually not uncommon. And what, what I was interpreting with COVID, you know, where you have this really intense fear of getting sick from the other person, it's something that is contagious. But that's really only one way. I mean, in terms of violence, somebody with Alzheimer's doing something violent, that's been going on forever with caregivers. You know, fear of what's going to happen to them and the disease, uh, you know, whether it's cancer or something else, that's something that caregivers have been dealing with. But it, it seems like, Jamie, that maybe we're building like a layer cake of things that are not good for the caregiver. Because you've just got the stress of all the caregiving. Now you've added fear. You know, and there's there's all these influences. So now we're making a pretty it's starting to get a little bit taller and deeper here.
2: It is. and COVID has brought to us, I think, a way that we need to now understand mental health in a different way. I wish we have understood this for the last couple hundred years, actually, that we have to build up the bank account, the reservoir, the reserves, and be able, when we're in that fearful place, that crisis place, to be able to tap our bank account of emotional wellness, to be able to handle these particular stressful times, more stressful, more fearful, like COVID. You know, when people emerge out of trauma, Carol, the the way that some emerge, they some very damaged, broken, and wounded. Their lives are really affected in a major way. Those who do go through trauma who sometimes are not already have that resilience built in, that emotional wellness and gotten through trauma before a little bit better and are able to generalize it. So really at the end of the day, this happens. Like you said, you can use the corollary of Alzheimer's with, with our love with caregivers. And so we need to build the bank. We need to take our oxygen first and make sure that we have it there to draw from when COVID's of the world hit us.
0: And if you don't have that backup of folks who can help, if you don't have access to that kind of support in my mother's case, Uh, We sent social workers to her house from Jewish Family and Children's Service, and she said, oh, no, no, I, I don't need help. Go take care of people who really need it.
2: That's the intervention I have to do all the time is how does my loved one or any loved one see a social worker because of the shame, the stigma, and they also believe that they've never had it before and they may not be worth it. Okay, so they really don't see themselves as needing social work. So, again, that informed consent, I'm back to it again, that from a safe person and Carol, you know best because you know how your family works. You know how caregiver SOSs work. That information that social workers may be needed. Open your heart. Open your mind. Talk to them. Is something we should prepare our loved ones for. Carol, I interrupted you.
1: Well, I was just going to say that when Jamie was talking about building up the bank account. And it's just like with money, it doesn't magically happen. You actually have to invest, which means you do have to ask for help if you want to build that bank account. You do have to get rest. You do have to replenish your soul and your spirit because it does, it's not going to be magic. You're, it's actually going to require you to do something or give something up.
2: As a therapist, this is the saddest part, especially about caregiving, is that they'll come in, and this goes with many disorders, many issues, but caregivers, they'll come in for crisis stabilization. When their knees are on the ground, they can't see straight, and there's no ability to gain insight. What you said, Carol, is spot on. You have to come in when you're okay, things are connected, you're feeling pretty okay, you're on a surfboard of life, because that's when you gain that bank account growing. That's when you gain that insight so you can use for a future day, not simply through crisis stabilization.
0: I like that surfboard of life. Dr. Jamie, thank you. You get the last word for Take 10. Carol Zernial, Dr. Jamie Heisman, I'm Ron Aaron. We'll catch you again next time on Take 10.